Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith, welcome to this first installment of Two Cents on the Australian Investors Podcast for 2024. Good to be back. Good to be back, Good to mate. Be break. It's been a, been a while. Got a bit of a tan going on there. Yeah. You can, um, for anyone that's never seen a, a video on Rask, uh, I am the least tan person in the world, but I managed to get one from all the reflective rays on the boat. <laughs> that's a, a, sun, a, a wind tan. <laughs> meaningfully salt burned over Christmas, and uh, that's what it is. It's just collected salt on my skin. We are Melbourne-based too, so yeah. there hasn't really been summer yeah. until the last week or so. To be honest, anyone that's been in Melbourne, you'll appreciate this. It's been, it hasn't really been a normal summer whatsoever. No. Look at us just that's 37 on Sunday, wasn't it? That was a normal summer. There was one, well, yes, a couple of days ago was 30, what was it, 36, 38? 36, yeah, yeah. And that was the first Sunday. hot day I think we've had. Yeah. And no one went outside. Yeah, everyone was like, oh. <laughs> it's too hot. And meanwhile, everyone in Queensland's like, what are you guys talking Where's about? <laughs> um, but wherever you are in Australia, welcome. Uh, this one is being filmed, which is lovely. Uh Today, we're just going to answer some questions as per usual. We've got a bit of an update. We have missed the first month on the Australian Investors Podcast in terms of these updates because we had the countdown. I've um, got a lot of feedback about that and we rocketed up into the top 10. Positive feedback or? Podcasts. Yep. Yeah, positive. Yeah, positive. Lots of people with different perspectives on episodes and the top 15 concluded with Nick Crocker at number one. And that probably wasn't the, if you were going by the audience impact and what I've gleaned from the data and feedback over the years. Nick's episode was absolutely brilliant. This is uh, his general partner at Blackbird. But yeah, uh, absolutely wonderful conversation. Had a profound impact on me, but it probably didn't have as much of an impact on the audience. I'd say the most, other than Dr. Andrew Derrimuth's appearances, of course, <laughs> the most profound impact probably came from Joe Mager, um, who was chief investment officer of Lakehouse Capital, now subsequently Seaplane uh, Ventures in the US. Um, he was like kind of like a mainstay on the show. Um, but it was really good to count down those episodes, Drew, and um, see the audience come raging back in January. I think a lot of people got time in for some podcasts. What did you get up to? It was more about that business philosophy, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. More yeah. so than the, you know, going deep on investments. 
which I yeah. think is super, always super interesting from our perspective. Especially because, um, yeah, for finance people and business people like us, it would be, um, especially because they invest pre-revenue, which yeah. is a very bizarre thing to a lot of people who normally love their calculations based on PEs or dividend yield and stuff. Imagine investing in something before it's even a business. That's effectively what they're doing. Um, an idea. Yeah, it's just an idea. And everyone has great ideas, but few people can execute. So how do you draw such a long bridge and consistently do that? Well, Blackbird's kind of figured it out. So they've invested in things like Canva and all those for people that don't know. Um, how was your summer? That was good. Yeah? You're looking a bit tanned as well. Of, yeah, I got a lot, lot more sun than usual, Yeah, which was good. Down and the I, beach. Yeah, and I think yeah. I did the pretty similar to you, which was have a real holiday. Yeah. Um, don't put yourself working for an extra three or four weeks. Yeah, it's like good, we mate. tend to. So yeah, you needed it. What, Recharge what, the batteries. In Victoria... Um, people don't think this if they're interested. for the best beach, eh? I was going to ask for your favorite beach, not the best. Oh, God. Because in Victoria, people don't think we have lovely beaches because our surf beach isn't in the city. Yeah. But you got to remember, we have like Rip Curl Pro and those things down here. Um, so some wonderful places down on the coast. It's just a, you go to WA, South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, obviously blessed with wonderful warm beaches water. and warm water. Yep. We do have some down here. Come on, guys. Give us a chance. <laughs> um, where would you? Where do you like to go? Because Victoria, you, you're not a surfer, if I'm not mistaken. Like you no, don't. I'm, yeah. I'm barely a beacher. So you most must, of the time. Okay, so you're normally on the sand. You're dry. The sand, most of your body dip, is dry. Yeah, a bit yeah. Of dip. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For probably some uh, a little esky hanging yeah. around too, like you would on the fishing boat. What Negroni in it? I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go Actually, on. not a Negroni in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah. so a couple of better beers or something like that. Okay. I'm, I'm not. We're not looking for ads there either. That's yes. Fine. No. Drink responsibly. Yeah. Uh, or not at all. Says that. It's low carb, of course. Um, so, uh, where would you go? Uh, I mean, we kind of stumbled. So we got a family house in Mornington Peninsula, yep. uh, and had never had always gone to back the back beaches. So in Melbourne, it's back beach or front beach. Back beaches, cold and you know <laughs> heaps of swell and rocks and rock yeah. pools. <laughs> yeah. uh, ended up just uh, stumbling into a beach I never been to. The kind of front beach of uh, Portsea, I think, oh, yeah. is their cutting. Yeah, okay. um, beautiful part of the world. It's all protected, so there's no wind there. Yes, the water's freezing, yep. uh, but it's in blue and and not a massive beach, so you don't get all the cool cabanas <laughs> all the way <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> yeah, we we do have one too, but uh, yeah, it's not as uh, as popular as uh, some of the other beaches on the peninsula as well. For those who don't know, Portsea's at the very tip of yep. uh, Victorian coastline. Um, at least around the bay. Popular Portsea pub. It is incredible how- Great Caesar salad. Uh, I would say it's extremely affluent. Yeah. So No, and we do not have a house in Portsea. Let's be clear on that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can't, it's like the cliff tops. Yeah. Houses. It's kind of like similar to Vaucluse in Sydney, except it's not as steep in the rocky- yeah, it's like 20, 30 million, I think, for some houses there. The, you yeah. know, the billionaires have their – there's Billionaires Row halfway yep. along Portsea, all the, a lot of the old old money and, you know, mm. uh, not you uh, got, some of the founders of this, Victoria's biggest businesses. Yeah, you go along there. that walk. Yeah. There's a walk there. It's called Millionaires Walk. should be Billionaires Walk nowadays. And you can actually walk through the backyards yeah. effectively because <laughs> of the coastline there. And you get to see all these houses. And when I go through there, I often use the real estate app and try and figure out what this house might be worth. But then you go and it goes like, no history. Because the last time it was sold was like 1970. Never, yeah, same <laughs> and you're like, oh. You just have to guess. But um, yeah, magnificent. I think for me, those those beaches are, are beautiful if you're just looking for a kid-friendly beach. Yeah. 
Um, but down along like the beach lawn, boxes, the lawn coastline is incredible. Yeah, like down towards Torquay and those types of things. Um, still nothing on Noosa. Let's be honest, guys. You got it good <laughs> up there. Um, but the water is surprisingly warm here, about twenty degrees. Um, yeah, it still comes as a bit of a shock. Still when comes you get as a shock. Yeah. I think the the problem in Melbourne is you get this cloud cover that's there, then disappears. Yeah. And then you get the wind, mm. not like Sydney, and then you'll be cold one minute and boiling up. <laughs> yeah. Um, no humidity, and then heaps of humidity. So so many beautiful beaches, but this is an investing podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty deep on this. What's your worst investment of last year, Drew? I think Tyro. I had to think about this a little bit. Tyro. Uh, I think I bought into. I, I was trying to look through because I can't remember many of my trades from last year. But that's the kind of FPOS alternative or the, yeah. the payment machine. Uh, one, they had issues. One of their customers decided to compete with them, and they sued them. Uh, and then there's naturally heaps of competition. And yeah. then the other one mismanaged to be honest. Let's yeah. be honest. Like the 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 board of directors, not naming names, but you know who you are, um, overspending and promising yeah. no profitability for many years. That's a red flag in a high interest rate environment. They were quite unique in COVID, where they were giving you weekly updates on on yeah. their POS systems, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, but, it was. Um, yeah, it's so competitive and uh, probably just bad timing at the moment. More people using those Zeller terminals, like the ones you yeah. can just buy at Officeworks and squares are everywhere these days. Yeah. The merchants are increasingly pushing back on the customers, their prices and, and the charge, yeah. surcharge. Speaking of which, if you think about it, so that was probably one of your worst investments. My worst investment was actually something that I sold, which is SmartPay. Oh, it's, a, it's one of the, yeah. I sold it too early. Yeah, sold it long before it actually did anything that I thought it was going to do. And I missed out on a few hundred percent for sure. Um, and they do, they're not buying out payload, they're like invoice finance. No, same as Tyro, except they just only do, sur- oh, yeah. basically only do surcharge products. Yeah. So you pass that straight back on. Really reliable uh, FPOS network. And they're trying to do the same thing in the New Zealand market where they've got a foothold. They just, previously in New Zealand, they've only had a rental agreement because of the different infrastructure that underlies the New Zealand payment system. But they're trying to bring that, the, the same model they have here in Australia, which is the acquiring one, which is where you have your own license. Yeah. They're trying to basically take that model to New Zealand, which could be interesting. I think CLW was a struggle. So the Charter Hall Long Whale REIT. Yeah. But buying that, that early in the year. So you bought it too early. Yeah. Yeah, right. <clears throat> we saw what happened at the end of the year. So, and yeah. we'll probably talk about this shortly when hopes of interest rate cuts increased. Yeah. What's it done so far this year? Down Technology and property naturally went up significantly. And that was. Big, one of the big drivers at the end of the year. So it was more too early on Charter Hall, Long Whale REIT, which yep. owns things like service stations and uh, logistics centers. Mm. Um, and But it's it's showing kind of strong recovery now back towards net, net asset value. Okay. Um, Charter Hall, Long Whale REIT, it's got a unlisted version as well, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Just off the top of my head, yeah. Listed, um, unlisted. Yeah. Um, so you can check it out on the ASX, uh, CLW is a ticker symbol. A lot of people get confused with this because there's heaps of them. And then also there's Charter Hall itself that's, the on, the, company, that's yep. on the stock exchange. We're talking about the REIT, the Real Estate Investment Trust, the thing that owns the property, yeah. not the company that runs the REITs, if that exactly. makes sense. So, yeah. Um, so you basically get the rent rather than a management fee. Yeah. Yeah. See. So I say like an act of omission, which was um, smart pay. I mean, there's, I didn't make too many active buy decisions last year. Most of the portfolios now ETFs um, for Australian shares anyway, and for Australian market. Um, I don't really have any massive blobs because of that. But I would say maybe uh, another act of omission was not having the NDQ or like NASDAQ in the last quarter. Tilt in yeah. there. Like you had Fang. I didn't have that. Yeah. 
um, like that, the Nasdaq one ended up in total return terms fifty three percent in that the NDQ the US dollar one big part, big jump was in the last quarter as well yeah, yeah. magnificent seven Jeez. you worried about uh, being index and the ASX finally hitting an all time high well and I that, also looked at total return of the STW ETF from State Street thirteen point eight percent. Not bad. That's pretty not good. Bad. That's, that's <laughs> not bad. Slightly above average. Good size. Um, yeah, slightly above average, as, as most people <laughs> would say. <laughs> Long term, 120 year track record of the ASX 200. By the way, all the all odds is 13.2 percent. But do you get the question? Do you were you comfortable putting more money into that? Yeah, buying the index, even though it's there's a lot of. I always have the. I always is like, yeah, I'll do it, and then it's like, hold on a second. There's a lot of banks in there, and there's miners. Yes, yeah. is the answer. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Well, what would you do? It's, made, it's not made up. You know, the index is driven by a range of companies, not just the top five, isn't it? So things like yes. the healthcare sector and the property sector haven't really contributed yet, and it's all been been dominated by the banks and financial uh, and banks and materials. Yeah, but then what would you say then if I asked you the same question, but for the Nasdaq, would you add more? No to that? way. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, I think I think the rally over there has been incredible and kind of driven by bond yields. So I think I'd probably be going a bit more diversified than the NASDAQ at the moment and and looking at, as you know, we try to combine mm -hmm. active and uh, passive. And there's a risk that some of the, particularly that's, I mean, buying the NASDAQ is an active decision because you're not buying the broad index, you're buying the tech 100. index. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'd still be holding it, but it's more like where your incremental dollar's going and probably a bit more diversified. And also you've got the currency hedged version, HNDQ. I think it is. Yeah. Up my head, ticker symbols. Um, it's all a bit of gibberish this time of year. I haven't had the kind of like the rote learning of ticker symbols over twelve months. I've been on holiday, um, but yeah, it's you've got the the hedged equivalent, and I would say now's a good time to start considering those. We we've made some big calls on this podcast <laughs> over the years, but some of the things that we've got right are the sensible things, like um, you know, to position for the U.S. rally, to. Um, expected interest rates would go up, so avoid bonds for a while, to move from f floating to fixed. I think if there's one thing that I'm probably, I'm not, I'm never super confident about everything. I think you got to question everything, but I'd say one of the things is that I think that the Australian dollar looks pretty good value if you're relative to the US. Yeah. Um, and so incremental dollars may even be hedged, um, a little bit at least. I don't know if you have a view on that, like where you, a positioning in terms of currency exposure? Yeah, I mean, currency is going to be driven by two things, but one in particular is interest rates. Yeah, the and differential. Yeah, exactly. So if Australian interest rates are higher, that should naturally see more money come to Australia, seeking out those higher returns. And they're talking in the US, although on 60 Minutes last week, Power right. said, Source of truth. you might be waiting a little while uh, for those rate cuts over there. Um, but I, it feels like uh, rates have peaked in the US and they're likely to fall. And maybe the peak, the peak is here in Australia, but maybe not as likely to fall as quickly. That's the kind um, of consensus for you. And if that's the case, you're going to see, you know, and and expectations of US rates falling, then you're going to see more people chasing Aussie dollars pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so I think we're, we're looking at hedging and starting to add small, like things like gold, you'd consider hedging, the things that are easy to hedge and, and benchmarks. Definitely. Um, but within a portfolio, you've got to generally have an issue that, if you've done well in an overseas fund, uh, you've got capital gains and to switch into a hedged option will re result in realizing those capital gains. So yeah, 
sometimes it's that incremental dollar or where's the next dollar going. But fixed income would be one where everything should be hedged. is always hedged. Yeah, because the returns are typically so small anyway. Yeah. Um, but a lot of your clients are retirees, so yeah. they're in the super phase. So, Generally, yeah. So they don't have the tax impact as much as, say, a 40-year-old investor would. Exactly. Um, but there's still the, you've still got any time you change funds, there's a, there's a cost. Frictional buy cost. sell spread, 0.1, 0.2%. Yeah. Um, just for going in and out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. I'd definitely be considering hedged gold currents, like yeah. gold exposure. Actually, um, for our membership, actually removed the gold exposure recently because, and this is maybe something we can do a whole episode on just to sit down and talk about, but um, with interest rates so high, term deposits, bond yields, expected bond yields, these types of things, they're actually paying interest all of a sudden. Yeah. And they're looking a lot more appealing than a lot of the gold exposure. But if there was some exposure to be had, I think you could toggle between the QAU ETF from BetaShares, which is the hedged physical gold product, yep. um, and any of the others like NUG from Vanek or GOLD from Globlex, new sponsor of the show, Globlex, by the way. Thanks. Just so you know, so Fang. Thank you. <laughs> Fang, here we and go. I should have just launched one as well. I did uh, that. Like GLDN, I'm pretty sure. GLDN. Golden. Yeah. Golden. I think that's Was an unhedged product. Unhedged product, right. Um, While Drew brings that up. Um, <laughs> will Zip recover? This is in Late Drew's notes, year. by the way. I'm just going to read them. <laughs> will Zip recover? I asked him. He said, nope, even after pay, in trouble now. And uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I was going to say no comment. Please move on. Um, you got a uh, hedged or unhedged on that GLDN? Uh, GLDN uh, unhedged. Unhedged and but, um, low what, cost. What's your uh, MER, actually, bro? Uh, oh, you're going to put it on me here. Uh, we didn't have great Wi-Fi load, in this office. Loading. <laughs> 0.18%. Oh, 0.18, very yeah. compelling. So iShares is always going to come into the market pretty much yeah. as close to the lowest cost possible. Um, so when you've got a yeah. few trillion undermanaged yeah. from that, <laughs> you can still manage in the world, you've got that option. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll do that gold thing uh, and we'll do it for very low. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, yep, after paying trouble. Now, I had another question in pre-prepared for Drew here. Um, after your fang call, what's better than fang right now? Tough is question. It, is anything better than fang? Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, you've got earnings season at the moment, which I haven't been following as closely as I would, but it, uh, everything seems to be holding up reasonably well. Amazon absolutely monstered the results. Yeah. Meta, uh, and all of them, really. I, I'm trying to think who was the negative result. Yeah, I can't, I can't even think of it, but Amazon... As uh, Kevin Fung said in our membership update this week, uh, basically Amazon nowhere now has nowhere to hide. Previously, it could shovel money and reinvest into certain aspects of its business like AWS, losses. third party logistics, healthcare is the thing now. Um, but now it can't do it. Now it is so big that it's bursting at the seams with profit. Yeah. And so everyone now sees how unbelievably profitable it is. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing they can do about it. It's just so big. Is the new CEO driving that or is it just a- I think it's just a scale. maturity thing. Like yeah. it's just so big. Like where do you reinvest $10 billion a quarter <laughs> with, you know- Infrastructure. <laughs> if you're and there's also R&D changes to tax legislation in the US as well, which impact these types of things. Um, so anything better than FANG? I don't mind healthcare this year, like healthcare, global healthcare. It's kind of similar to tech, but- I think if we're looking at an environment where economic growth around the world is going to be reasonably slow or slower than usual, uh, and you've got potential rate cuts, you know, 
most healthcare company of quality, consistent earnings, most, uh, and not that much competition. So mm. looking at you know pharmaceutical companies, the CSLs, the Cochleas, the ResMeds, which had a bit of a rally, uh, you know, did well at the end of last year, but are still well off mm. kind of where the rest of the market is. Particularly um, CSL and ResMed, right, with yeah. the whole Ozempic. Um, so none of those done incredibly well. The, yeah, right. Uh, I think they've got Ozempic, don't they? Yes. Never notice. Yeah, yeah. So something like I, I just look at. ISHES, the global healthcare, IXJ, yeah, global IXJ. healthcare, or just looking at the Aussie healthcare sector as well. Even though it's pretty, it does get shallow pretty quickly outside the top ten. The uh, the ISHES global healthcare ETF, uh, it's quite an interesting one. Just off, just going off the top of my head, that tracks the twelve hundred index, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but it only holds it does uh, a replication strategy, so it only holds about a hundred to one hundred twenty. St- Stocks off the top of my head. So what that basically off the top of your head. <laughs> what that basically means in English is the index that it tracks is about twelve hundred companies throughout the world, but it's too expensive and too complicated to own all twelve hundred. So what they do is they take the top say hundred or hundred and twenty in this case, uh, and they'll get ninety nine percent of the way there. And then if they need to adjust the ETF to track more closer to the index, what they'll do is they'll buy or sell futures contracts over that index. Yeah. And that adjusts the last little bit to replicate. It's it's a very common strategy amongst more thematic or globally diversified ETFs because it's cheaper for the end investor to just use a futures contract and do a derivative exposure. But the same here, that you can't go and buy every little biotech company at the bottom, nor, nor would you want to in an index yeah. like this. Not to say that they're little companies, but- Yeah, it, it um, happens here with our small cap ETFs. Yeah. That's the only way that, that you can really do them. That's why these small cap ETFs don't often track that closely to an index because you may think, oh, it's just because of their fees. Yeah, it's because of their fees, but their fees are high because they have to buy derivatives Yeah, uh, and they have to trade a lot. So that's one of the reasons why. But I kind of like that. I like that pick. Uh, I used to have that ETF in my mum's portfolio. It's one of the longest running ETFs in Australia, actually. That's a Drew Meredith, not an Andrew Derrimuth prediction. So don't this short it. This is the it. sensible financial <laughs> advisor. If it was Andrew, you'd probably short that one. <laughs> <laughs> For those uh, new to the show, uh, Dr. Andrew Derrimuth is Drew's alter ego. Uh, and we did have a few complaints about him last year, <laughs> getting too much airtime on the show. So here we are, uh, 2024. He will be here, but he'll be here in presence. By the way, uh, this week, we aired the podcast with uh, Bill, Mitchell. Bill Mitchell. So that was great. We recorded that just before Christmas. Bill's a, a national treasure, definitely, amongst the economic circles. And uh, it's good to have him in the studio uh, a little while ago to record that. Uh, Drew, what else is making news before we get to questions? I have one for you, which was... Oh. You look like you spent the entire summer fishing. Yes. Are there any lessons from a summer spent in the boat that we could apply to our investment portfolios or the way we approach? You saw, did you see the tweet that I put out the other day? I bet you did. Um, She's always sleuthing. (laughs) Um, No, did you see the tweet that I put out the other day about fishing? The Charlie Munger quote? I actually didn't. Okay, so the the quote is in Paul Charlie's Almanac, which I listened to over Christmas. And um, this is the quote from Charlie Bunger. It goes, the fishing tackle manufacturer knew, uh, sorry, the fishing tackle manufacturer I knew had all these flashy green and purple lures. I asked, do fish take these? Charlie, he said, I don't sell these lures to fish. (laughs) End quote. And uh, I heard that while I was fishing and I thought to myself, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And a lot of people, when they're investing, particularly newer investors, what one of the big problems that they have is that they think that their own personal experiences with a product or service is representative of the entire world. And you probably see this like, how could you invest in Apple? 
if you use Android. It's only when yeah. you go and use an Apple phone, you realize how amazing the ecosystem is. And you're like, oh. So your perception changes depending on your reference point. And um, that was something that kind of I double clicked on. But um, what was the other one that really resonated with me recently, which was that, um, which is also from yeah. Paul Charles' Almanac, which was, uh, which I was listening to while fishing, which is that you, <laughs> you have to, you have to des- deserve the life that you want, uh, which is quite interesting because uh, we see this all the time in business. A lot of people have good ideas, but do you deserve to have the good business? Yeah. Well, the way you deserve it is you put in all the work. And what's the work? The work in business or investing or in life, I think, is doing all the things that you don't see. Like if someone was looking at you or meeting up with you or a friend, they see that you might drive a nice car or have a nice house. But what is everything that they don't see? That's you having sleepless nights, giving up time with family, reading books, studying, all those things. That's the true work that leads you to the life that you deserve. Um, and so that was one of the things that kind of dawned on me or was double clicked on. Is it quote like eat the frog? Eat the frog. Have you heard the, eat no, the frog. Tell me them. I love this. <laughs> I'm going to try and uh, repeat it here. Uh, essentially, the although we're talking, I think it might be Hugh, Andrew Huberman. You know, the, yep. is it the Stoics guide as well, where it talks about your brain, grow, your parts of your brain grow when you do difficult things. So yeah, it's right. Like if you were told to eat a frog and uh, you have the choice of eating it straight away, well, you know, you've done it. You've done the hard thing initially, and you feel better about it. Yep. But then, if you don't do it until lunchtime, and then you potentially delay it again until dinner, and then it's the next day, and then you never eat the frog. So yeah. it's this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If that I, was I like the right it. Explanation, I like it. But, but uh, can you eat, you can eat do frogs? Hard can you? <laughs> <laughs> do hard things. If you're French. Yeah. yeah. Um, what other things that I learned? Boats are bloody expensive. Don't get one if you're on a budget. <laughs> So it's petrol. Uh, 220,000 boats, I think, believe, registered in Victoria. Yeah. Nearly 12, no, all in nearly, nearly 2,000 of them got rescued last year. So, <laughs> if you th- yeah, so if you think about that, 1,000, 1% of all boats need some, need the Coast Guard or the police to pull you back into shore. It goes to show, like, it's a, it's a bloody it's a risky. And it's, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's got credit to the commercial fishermen and women out there. Um, yeah, it's a horrible thing, low utilization, high cost. Um, kind of like a jet ski. <laughs> Let's not get into that again. <laughs> we lost half our audience. Yeah. Um, so what else is making news? You've got a bit of a model portfolio here for Waddle clients. Walk us through this. Yeah, I was just uh, end of the year. So naturally all performance data comes out. So just looking at what the returns were from uh, a lot of kind of model portfolios out there. Mm-hmm. So one of the averages, so if this is, if this is what do you – if you're looking at the end of the year, it's a good time to review your portfolio, something we do every quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch return should you have got. Um, the challenge here is that apples to apples is incredibly difficult. So you yeah. could go Host Plus has an index balanced option and that was up 13%. But their version of balanced is significantly more aggressive than maybe yours or ours or a retiree's. Yeah, it won't be 50-50, yeah. yeah. So you, sometimes you're looking for a balanced or a conservative, but comparing something that has a similar risk level uh, to your own. Something more broad. So what we generally build is a 35, 65 or a 40, 60 portfolio. Quite conservative. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's balancing income and growth generally because uh, that, that's what we, I mean, most of our clients and retirees are, are seeking. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. return for the average diversified portfolio, that was about 8.8% in for the calendar year 2023. And you could say the industry funds outdid it by getting something like 9.6, but it's a very different approach. And there's a few questions this week about holding cash within a portfolio. And that's one of the, the drags or one of the drivers of that different return. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. The super funds don't have to hold a lot of that cash, right? None. Can, if you're getting contributions all the time, you can 
basically spend your challenge is to spend all that money as quickly as yeah, you can. No point having twenty percent cash; they can just yeah. do that. The, the the client or the member of the super fund can just do that and themselves. Super guarantee money yeah. piles in every quarter. Yeah. Um, interestingly, just looking at your numbers here, um, well done, I must say. Um, it basically, across every asset class that you look at, you guys uh, beat, beat the index. You invested the index. Except cash. Except cash. <laughs> yeah, except cash. That's probably unfair, isn't it? Yeah. I but think there's a delay on that too. So the cash rate's based on the current cash rate and yeah. your interest payments at the beginning of the year were much lower than the rest. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had heaps of clients. We do our quarterly reviews at the moment, spoken to a lot of our clients. They're all, they're, everyone's appreciative. But one of the things we kind of pride ourselves on is just not blowing up. <laughs> yeah. For lack of a better word. So just as you avoiding the tyros. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the um, yeah. I noticed tyro is yeah, not, not in this not table in that I'm looking at, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, making, maintaining a good exposure to markets, but doing it diversified. So yes, if we had more in global equities and Australian equities, your return returns would have been higher. But we still did well out of the diversifiers in real assets and alternatives. And if we didn't have that massive rally at the end of the year in global equities, the portfolio still would have done well. So it's not relying on one asset class or another uh, to generate those returns. Um, I think it's always difficult when you, if you're slightly ahead or slightly behind, that'll always be why we're we behind. But there's always a lot of reasons. And it's uh, the key is just aligning your objectives with how you're managing your portfolio. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, credit to you, mate. And diversification. Credit to you and the team at uh, Waddle and Atchison for this. Great job. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really like this. It's, um, it's, it was a really interesting year. And I think if you reflect on that, like if you took someone on January 1st last year and you said, say a Waddle client, and you said you're going to get 9.7% uh, this year from a very diversified portfolio, they would be like, are you crazy? And most 2022 interest rates, property yeah. just read in the AFR. Someone said property's annualizing at 26%. Yeah. Down. China's collapsing. China, COVID. We went through that list late last year, didn't <laughs> yeah. we? Which was everything that happened, including Taylor Swift. Yep. Um, Swift A. Uh, and it was, yeah, if you said you were going to get that last year, you would not believe it. But then it's kind of expected when you get yeah. <laughs> when you deliver it. So yeah. Taylor Swift's coming on the podcast next week. Yeah, actually, we're looking forward to that. that. You can't. That's yeah. false marketing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> Travis Kelsey, maybe. Uh, yeah. Um, what's that? Jimmy Barnes, maybe. We could try Jimmy Barnes. It's a great investment. We got Bill Mitchell. He's a rock star of he is. Uh, he's of, a of the blues in his band yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sold out the MCG for AIP. <laughs> uh, music slash investing slash weather is what slash beach advice is what you get here on the Australian Investors Podcast. So questions this week. Um, we're recording this on the sixth of February, twenty twenty four. Every week on a Saturday morning, Drew and I take some questions from you. Best question, Nur, name, because we give us give us a funny name, would you? Uh, gets a free pass to the Value Investor Program. It's four hundred ninety nine dollars on Rask Education. You get it for free if you are selected as the funniest name of the week. Uh, we are strictly only able to offer general financial advice or general financial information is the way to think about it, I reckon. And that means we don't take into account your needs, goals, objectives, your personal circumstances, or any of that stuff. So ask your question appropriately, and we will only answer in a generalized way. And it's always important to speak to a licensed and financial planner who can take into account your needs, goals, and objectives before on any of the information. We may mention things like super funds, ETFs, those all have product disclosure statements. You can find out more information about what it is the RASC Group does at www.rask.com.au slash FSG. Drew, 
you are a financial planner, so you can give one-on-one advice. You can't hear today, um, but can you just explain for munging down at the buffet, which is a play on Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, You're rest in peace, Charlie Munger. I would love if you could have an in-depth discussion on debt recycling. Also, is it better to redraw a larger sum of money from the equity in your principal place of residence or just recycle the money you would normally invest per month? Uh, what are the pros and cons of both? So we won't have a deep dive, but maybe just for the benefit of people here today, Drew, can you just talk about this strategy at large? I can broadly. Yep. Um, we don't do a lot of it, given our client base, but yep. the, I think it's in terms of what it is, it's quite straightforward. You're essentially using the equity you've built up in your house. So you have a mortgage, you bought a house, and you've paid that paid that debt. You might be ahead on your mortgage. It's using the equity in your mortgage uh, to start investing for another purpose. So mm. in some cases, it, you know, some people just do it via property. They wait till there's a lot of equity, then you draw all that equity out and buy another property and add more leverage. Uh, others use it to diversify into into other assets. I think mostly it's it is about uh, diversifying to other assets. And essentially, there's different ways to do it. There is a large sum and dropping that into a property or a portfolio of, of other assets. And I think more common though is combining this with dollar cost averaging. Mm. Uh, so essentially as you pay pay off say quarterly or six monthly and get ahead on your mortgage, you draw that amount from your mortgage or an investment loan preferably, a line of, and that's going to get into detail, yeah. but uh, a, a deductible source of debt. So there's a difference between non-deductible debt is if you're not using it to generate an income, your home. Mm-hmm. But if you're using it uh, a separate facility to generate income, it's deductible. This is a very long explanation. No, okay. And then slowly deploying that into other assets. So buying a portfolio of ETFs, buying a diversified portfolio of investments, buying shares, um, buying real assets, whatever it happens to be. So you get the double benefit of extracting your equity over time, but also turning your debt from tax non-deductible to being tax deductible. Mm. So I'll give you, that's a really good explanation, mate. I'll give you another one as well. So basically, you buy a house, you may have a 20% deposit. The house goes up in value while you're paying it down. So now you've got 30%. So there's a 20% difference there, a 10% difference to what you originally started with. And banks generally want 20%. So you could go to the bank and say, hey, can I have that 10% amount out? Maybe it's 60, 50, 100 gram, whatever. You pull that out. The bank effectively adds that, credits that to your bank account. Usually, it just goes into an offset or something like this. You would then speak to your accountant and you would effectively make sure that you're following the correct practice to then invest that money. Now, you don't want the lines to blur between like house money and investment money because you want to be able to clearly state that that money was for an investment purpose, which yeah. then makes it, makes it tax deductible speak to your accountant. Um, very common strategy and I think it will become more common this year for homeowners because two things. One is- Let's be honest, land taxes on property have been ridiculous and they're still going up across Australia. So fewer and fewer people are going to turn to property as a long-term wealth creation vehicle. Uh, If you have the leverage in your home, you want to do something with it. So what are people going to do? They're going to turn to uh, ASX shares in particular and get franking credits. So they'll get the tax deduction on the interest while also getting the growth and the franking credits um, that can go against their tax return from that. Very common strategy. We're going to do a deep dive with Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Uh, on how to set up the debt side of things. Uh, That will appear on the Australian Property Podcast, but also here on the Australian Investors Podcast in the next month. I'm recording with him in two days. Okay, I had a scrub daddy for years. Wish I could say the same about ETFs. Says, cash is dead. The dire headline is cash cannot keep up with inflation and interest rates and interest charged, aka Andrew Derrimuth RBA predictions. I know it's a headline. 
don't know what they're saying here, but what would you make of it? Is the cash I have beside my emergency fund dead? What do you think the 10-year average rate of inflation is? 10-year, I would say 3.4. Still under 3%. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Ask that question because that does have a per point, I think. Okay. Uh, I think, well, there's this, there's this commentary and it, it is kind of essentially saying that if, if there is inflation, you need to invest in assets that are going to grow. But the problem with that is inflation impacts people in very different ways. So what you spend money on versus what I spend money on, what a retiree spends money on uh, mm. is incredibly different. So what inflation are you seeking to keep up with by not holding cash? But then- that I think that oversimplifies the question as well because cash is isn't there as a growth investment. In most cases, it's actually there one to to fund living expenses, and you'd prefer to have some money in cash to be able to pay your bills rather yeah. than having to sell assets all the time. Uh, and the other one is that it's actually long term inflation that impacts on the you know your purchasing power, not one year here yeah. or there. Yeah, I think is. So, yeah, and I mean, the option is even if you're buying equities, yes, they end up up 8% this year, but in most periods, the year before, it was zero. Yeah. So when inflation went to 8%, you had no hope of keeping up with it and you actually impacted your capital more by chasing those high risk, yeah. uh, all those high growth investments. So I think your point here, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> no, no, it's good, is that you want to have basically what someone would cliche call an all-weather portfolio. Like you yeah. want to have a portfolio that... Some years it might rain, some years it might be like sunny, some exactly. years it might be in a winter. doesn't matter. You want to build a portfolio that's built for all conditions rather than trying to go all or all in cash or not in cash. Keep up with inflation one year and not the next yeah. year. And statistically, those are those diversified portfolios. They might not be, you might not be going up to a cocktail party and being like, hey guys, I got 9.8% last yeah. year. But- You'll still be here to tell the story in five or 10 years once you've compounded at a reasonable rate for a long time. And I think it's the option value in cash that we educate our clients on a lot, mm. which is we think it feels like everything's going well, but it didn't feel that way three or four months ago. And when bad things happen, so even if it's you know something could you have an unexpected jump in inflation, then uh, interest rates uh, are going to increase and markets are going to fall. That's that cash might be being impacted by inflation now, but you've got an option that most people won't have, which is to deploy it when things have fallen significantly. Yeah. So it just gives you optionality and, and flexibility. It's very hard to quantify that for a lot of people so yeah. they don't grasp it straight away. They're like, what do you mean you've got cash and that's why you didn't perform as well as this bit right here? But you're like, no, well, what happens if it went the other way? You'd want us to hold that cash to put it in here. Um, and that, like you said, that's the optionality. And that's where fixed income investments or fixed interest investments come in, which are very misunderstood. Yeah. But it's the ability to take slightly more risk, get a similar income, but know that they're going to be pretty secure when you need to sell them. Yeah. That question and name also had Scrub Daddy in the title. Um, <laughs> I haven't got, you haven't given me one of those yet. Oh, I was telling the girls today that um, I'm on an Amazon subscription. I forgot. So I've got another one coming. I'll give it to you. <laughs> um, Scrub Daddy, get one. Uh, so uh, Gerald, must be a fan, <laughs> wrote in and said, can I set up separate trade accounts for each of my children? And by this, I think Gerald means uh, separate trading like stockbroking accounts. Or what's the best option here? Can't give you personal advice, Gerald, but what we could say is uh, it's not common that you would have one account for each child, particularly in their name, because a child or a minor under the law gets taxed to the hilt. Yeah. Uh, so there are other ways to do it. Anything like income over 400 bucks, I think, is taxed at 60 or yeah. plus percent. Yeah. It's, that rule came in, Gerald, the fact that children shouldn't get money from like family trusts and all that sort of stuff. And when we say children, we mean unearned income or children below 
the age of whatever. Um, the reason is in the past, people who had trusts, pretty hot water at the moment, uh, people who had trusts would split their income to a child and just say, oh, no, you know, Billy's he's earning up to $70,000 while still at primary school. And people are like, well, he's got to pay tax. And so they've made it so unpalatable that you can't do that. And you can yeah. do it, but it's just a bad idea. So what we find most common is uh, the legal owners are the parents or grandparents. Yeah. Um, and speak to your accountant once again to get this set up correctly. But basically, the parent can hold it on trust for the child and then it transitions. Well, some people just own it in their own name yeah. and then take the risk of capital gains and distribute it later on. Just like getting on a Qantas flight, yeah. Gerald. You put your safety mask on in the event of a, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of a disaster <laughs> and then you put it on the children. Um, and it's, it's the same analogy that applies here, like if you want to invest... And you, if you are looking at, we spoke a lot about this on the in the on the road show last year, uh, all around the country, which was wonderful. Stay tuned. Um, how a lot of people want to do this, and one of the things you can do is you can still educate your child, even if you don't put the money in their name. And I think that's a really important thing: is you want to pass on that education. You can still educate them by having conversations about money. You can have a portfolio that's got their name on it, even if it's the legal owner is the adult, and you can say, look. Uh, Stephanie, I don't know what her name is, like terrible thing of names on the spot, but Stephanie, um, your Apple shares went up to this amount and you own some of Nike and look, Netflix went down, but that's okay because they've got this many subscribers and that's how we pay for Netflix. Those are the types of conversations you want to have. Yeah, uh, rather, engagement. Yeah, and use Netflix. Don't you? Don't buy them BHP because they won't know what that means unless they walk past a piece of steel and it's got a BHP stamp on the side. As good as BHP is. Probably got question, time for one more question here. Um, I reckon this one, as it relates to the countdown, if we made Drew, um, and then we've got time for more questions every week for the rest of this year. So send in your questions, um, courtesy of the link in the show notes, which says, ask a question, select the Australian Investors Podcast. Remember, we answer questions every week. And we're also doing Q&A on the other podcasts on the RAS Network, whether it's property, business, et cetera. Just select the Australian Investors Podcast if you want Drew and I to get to it next week. Um, also, if you do have a financial planning question, particularly as it relates to retirement, you can email Drew directly at Waddle Partners. So you can head to the waddlepartners.com.au website and send Drew an email. Do you give your email out publicly these days or not? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's drew at waddlepartners.com.au. Uh, you can send him especially retirement questions, send them to him. Either he or the team will get back to you basically immediately. Uh, and if they can't, they'll let you know and book in a meeting. I'm rarely on Twitter though, so LinkedIn's probably preferred. LinkedIn if you're a social media person. I'm not good on LinkedIn, just to be <laughs> clear. On People, I, I have about 70 or 80 unread messages and I really apologize, but I just haven't figured it out. Um, I just cop a lot of abuse on there when I go and put things on about... <laughs> Finance. People shoot me down really quickly. That's okay. That's what the world's about. Uh, Dom says, Hi, Owen. I recently listened to the Peter Pan episode again and wanted to get your thoughts on his opinion of ETFs. This was recorded a couple of years ago, so keep that in mind, guys. Peter had a pretty strong view that large-scale passive investing in ETFs will distort the market with negative consequences. Cheers, Dom. Thank you, Dom. That's a great question. And basically what you're referring to, Dom, is the same thing that Michael Burry mentioned. And Peter Lynch touched on a little bit, but he didn't really have as strong views as Michael Burry. Burry. He's the one from the big short um, who was played by Christian Bale, who had the Metallica barefoot. playing and barefoot running around and he fired everyone in his office and whatever. And he also he, said last year to put a big short on the S&P 500. Yeah. And then lost his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so effectively what you have is... Um, 
What you what you have is someone who makes a lot of calls. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is a conspiracy theory. There's a lot of these that come up all the time. Yeah, you know, and not Illuminati, but kind of cons- out there. But we are taught in finance that oftentimes it pays to be contrarian. And if yeah. everyone's doing this one thing, like buying brain chip shares, yeah. or everyone's buying AI stocks, and it seems like a bubble, you should probably avoid that. And momentum rules too in short periods of time. In short periods if, of time, if you're trading. So how do we try and maintain that composure when some people do say that ETFs are distorting the market? Is that having an impact, Drew? I mean, there's this idea that the market itself is a zero-sum game. It's probably getting too... No, no, yeah. One person can't win without the other person losing. Yeah, I mean, it's probably kind of true, but it's not one for one all the time. And the idea is that if everyone goes passive then there's no alpha or outperformance to generate from active management because the whole industry is passive. But I think we're probably, I think we're still less than like 15% passive. I think a little bit more. And there's always going to be sectors, as we were talking about before, sectors, parts of the market, different countries that are never going to be able to be replicated with passive. The story would be that because passive is so popular, companies like Apple and Amazon just keep getting bigger and bigger, even if they don't uh, keep performing. I've, I view, as always, that there's going to be, will always be a role for both. There's always parts that are going to be under-researched and there's always uh, value. And how do you prepare for it? I think it's going to be the boring part, which is knowing what your objective is when you're, when you're investing. Yeah. Um, we went through it late last year. The 25 different things that could have made you sell everything. Uh, in our, I think it was our last episode. Yeah. Uh, but if you're prepared, and as you said before, you've got an all-weather or this resilient portfolio. Which is what you guys do. Yeah. Which is, you know, you've got a fair allocation to most asset classes, but if one thing blows up, you don't, you don't, you know, lose a house over it. Uh, I think that's the only way to do it. Um, mm. And then we get a lot of questions and a lot of links sent to us via WhatsApp or LinkedIn yeah. about some fear-mongering article. We know, we know these comments sell papers more so than saying passive and active both work together. It makes more sense yeah. to for for headlines to just say yeah it's gonna it's gonna explode so it's blocking out the noise knowing your strategy uh, and and having a framework when when you're making decisions yeah because say Dom here would probably read an article like in DFR or the Australian or Bloomberg or whatever and the author of that particular thing it might be a columnist it might be an opinion article whatever they might say something like. Oh, you know, index investing is now X percent of the market that is having a profound impact. And you, as an individual investor who maybe don't understand it, completely understand the true machinations of how an ETF is built and how it operates behind the scenes, it does seem confusing at first. You think, oh, yeah, well, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So that's what I've been taught. So this is confirmation bias in action. And I think once you get to the bottom of this, Dom, what you find is that we're probably still a ways away from that. And the key concern amongst investors, and Michael Burry said this in his article from quite a while ago, which was that it's like everyone trying to rush through the door at the same time and implying that not everyone could sell or buy the ETFs in an orderly market if they wanted to. But I want to just quickly, before the show wraps up, Tom, just quickly mention something. As the ETF and index in community matures, what will happen is, and we're already seeing this happen, is that the actual ETFs actually start to cross-trade. So what you'll find is that not everyone is going to have the market cap. Like in the United States, which is a good leading example of this, momentum investing and momentum ETFs, which just track like the latest bought stocks and whatever and which ones are performing and not, or quality ETFs, or in case of Drew's one before, the FANG ETF or the healthcare ETF, they all cut up the market in a different way. So effectively, if Drew's trying to buy the 
healthcare ETF and I'm trying to sell the S&P 500 ETF, that means there's trading happening, which is good for ETFs because it means that I could, the ETF provider could buy from Drew and sell to me or sell from sell mine and buy Drew's one. And so you have naturally gifted the market some liquidity. Another thing that's important to understand that active funds trade on average five times more than index funds. So there's less trading happening from index funds. Uh, and that's because uh, the index fund is typically really diversified. It doesn't need to sell a lot and people are dollar cost averaging in. So yes, it's something that we should all be mindful of. Even uh, John Bogle said, be mindful of this, it is a risk. But as Drew said, there's so many active investors out there, individual investors, and extremely well-regulated in Australia, extremely. I think it does put pressure on active investors. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, active active funds because there's been you know you can see the S and P numbers mm. and a lot of them have underperformed historically, um, but it puts pressure and you know you can get the average like we talk about beta for free you can get the average for free so that should be a starting point and then looking for opportunities outside that. You made a point before about zero sum. Uh, all the data on the uh, stock market would suggest over a hundred plus years, Dom, that uh, the average profit of a company on the stock exchange, like as we take the stock exchange as a whole, increases six to 7% a year on average, not every year. And that is very close to the long-term average of the stock market once you add a few percentage points. And so basically, it might be zero sum, but if you're doing the average thing, you're going to collect that innovation and the value capture of the stock market over the long term, correct? Yeah. So even though we might say zero sum, zero sum does not necessarily mean zero return. Zero sum is probably more like a six or seven percent return. Yeah. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Okay, we've had a lot of good questions this week, and apologies we don't have time to get through everything today. But um, oh, we got Dom Gerald. I had a scrub daddy for years. You can do a joke, by the way. Yeah, I've got one ready. Wish I could <laughs> say the name about ETFs. That was another one. And munging down at the buffet. All of you can get the Value Investor Program. It's the first week of the year. Just write into us uh, via the Rask website and. Uh, our team will sort you out with a value investor program valued at $499. Keep your questions coming in. We've got dozens and dozens from Christmas, but we have uh, the two of us on the show each and every week, every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Please subscribe to the Australian Investors Podcast, now a top 10 podcast in Australia. Wonderful. And we've got the book coming soon. Ah, uh, yes. April 9. We'll maybe Golden we'll years. Week. I've started reading it. I've got an advanced copy. It is very well written. Lots Excellent. of stories. I like it. Um, Drew, you're going to take us off into the sunset with a I'm, joke. I'm trying to improve the jokes okay. compared to last year. So. Okay. You're probably got an average right. of about five last year. It's not bad. <laughs> um, if people want to get in contact with you, they can head to thewattlepartners.com.au website, or there is a link in the podcast player that says financial planning. Drew and his team specialize in pre- and post-retirement. Now, Drew. No dad jokes in our SOAs will be- No dad jokes. Don't worry right. about that. The, uh, <laughs> they stop here. The jokes aren't as good as the SOAs, statements mm. of advice. That's what that is. Go for it. What do you call a magician who lost their magic? And? Ian. Very close. You nearly got it. <laughs> That's the closest I've ever been to getting it. <laughs> I'm just trying to start simple and build up. I don't yeah. want to start really low. And, oh, that's yeah. pretty good. I'll give it like a seven or an eight yeah. out of ten. That's, I'll take that. That's, I'll take that's that. creative, mate. Well done. Yeah. Um, I did well, come up with it. Credit to BuzzFeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Drew, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. 
After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.